One of the fun things about having children and, and watching children grow is to watch them to learn how to walk. And it's always uh, it's a progressive thing, isn't it? Uh, my youngest granddaughter, Kaylin, uh, I, my nickname for her, Scooter, because she never really crawled. She had she put her left leg kind of under her right leg and she would just scoot. And she went from scooting to walking. Uh, but normally we have, you know, you have the, they, they're just completely immobile, and then they um, they crawl, and then they make initial maybe stand up, be able to stand up by holding things, and then they start walking, and they fall, and they walk, and they fall. But my point is, obviously, our, our children don't just, when they're born, just start walking. It's a it's a process. And And... As we look at our text today, I invite you to open to the book of Colossians. Paul's going to talk about walking. And, and uh, I want to emphasize at the very beginning that spiritual walking is a process as well. Learning how to walk spiritually is just as much of a process as learning how to walk physically. Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. We'll read the whole text and then we'll come back. Paul says in verse 9, chapter 1, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will, through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Uh, In verse 9, we have Paul um, beginning by saying, For this reason... Uh, and what reasons? The, since the day we, since the day we heard, and and yeah, that's good. Just yeah, that's good. Since the day we heard, that's all that's in the text. Since the day we heard. Now the New American Standard provides of it, and it should be in italics. So they added that because English wants a direct object. It sounds it sounds weird to us. It sounds odd to us to say from the day that I heard. In English, what do our ears expect? Heard what? We, we need a direct object. A Greek doesn't doesn't need that. So, so that would not have been odd to to a Greek speaker. Um, so that's why translations usually usually provide a, of it. Um, and, and if they did of it, they, it, it kind of points you to verse eight. It, it, it points you that maybe he's talking about their love in the spirit. But but I think it's I think it's. Probably more uh, verses 4 through 8, not just verse 8. And, and, and I think that to say, since we heard about you, preserves that. It, it, it preserves that option of, of all that he has heard about in verses 4 through 8, which was what we talked about last week. If you remember, their faith and love that sprung from the hope that was stored up for them in heaven. Remember we talked about the, the powerful gospel that transforms lives. Their faith and their love. And in fact, the gospel was bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it was doing among them. And and that, I think, is what Paul is referring to. For this reason. For the reason that the gospel powerfully transformed your lives, 
We have not stopped praying for you. And we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. And he goes on. Now, let me give you two important points. Whenever, particularly in Paul, whenever Paul prays, um, these are not things that he hopes will happen. But Paul's prayers are, keep this in mind, Paul's prayers are God's precepts. It's in the form of a prayer, but when you read the prayer, you need to see this as God saying, this is what I expect. But it's coming in, does it make sense? It comes in the form of Paul's prayer. So just because Paul's praying, it doesn't mean that, well, you know, that's what Paul really wants to see what happened. And that is, but Paul's prayers are God's precepts. And Paul's desires are God's directives. So even though this is in a form of a prayer, we read this and we interpret this as God's expectations, God's directives, God's precepts for us. And in fact, he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And here's the content. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives he says, I pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of His will. What does it mean to fill? The, the, we, we saw this, or we see this in Ephesians 5.18, and he says, I want you to be, we talked about, filled with the Spirit. It's, fill, as you remember, has, has a lot of different connotations, depending on the context. If you fill a glass, it's, it, you're talking about a sphere or a location. But we can talk about fill in the sense of, Influence or extent. If you fill a glass of water, you fill it to its fullest capacity. And so that's probably the, the sense here. He's, I want you to experience, I want you to have the fullest knowledge. But also in this term is not just understanding, but certainty. I pray that you will have the certainty of His will. Look at chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to get there in chapter 2. He says, My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. God wants you, God wants us, to have the fullest knowledge of His will. Now, the question is, what does he mean by will? How many, how many, remember we talked about God's will. How many different kinds of wills do we see or ways of willing that God has in the Bible? Anybody remember? What's one kind of will that we see in the Bible for God? His preceptive will. What's his preceptive will? This. It's, all of this is his will. What's another kind of will that we see in God? What's that? His providential, his sovereign, his, 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 the, the way that he works providentially and sovereignly. Completely separate and apart from us. Another one is his decorative will. That which he decrees. Was there a possibility that Jesus wasn't going to be born? Was there a possibility that they weren't going to crucify him? Was that even a possibility? No. Because God decreed it. Now, it still was a result of free and responsible decisions or irresponsible decisions made by man. But it, it, there are certain things that God decrees that are certain to happen. And then finally we have what many call his hidden will. Now these are the things that he does. Maybe this is synonymous with his providential or sovereign will. 
But there are just certain things that God has not revealed to us and will never reveal to us that he's going to work out in our lives and the lives of other people. So, this will is not God's private plan for your life. He's not saying, I want you to know what, what school. I want you to have a real full understanding of what school he wants you to attend. Or who he wants you to marry. But that's not the will that he's talking about here. I think that probably he's talking about God's revealed will. I want you to reach... I want you to reach the fullest knowledge you can about the will that I have revealed to you in and through my word. And that leads to, how do we do that? I'll look back in the text with me. I ask God, we ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through, or by means of, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Everybody have the Bible, right? You can see and you can read it too. Now, your translation probably says, use a spiritual as an adjective. Spiritual wisdom or understanding or spirit, wisdom and spiritual understanding. The question is, how are we to, how are we to uh, use that adjective spiritual? Does it go just with wisdom? Does it go just with understanding? Does it go with both? And if it goes with both, what does it mean? Well, the NIV, I like what the NIV does. That's what I'm using. I like what it did. This is what the Spirit gives. It is spiritual understanding and spiritual wisdom. Our ultimate understanding, our ultimate wisdom, in order to know God's will to the fullest, requires the Holy Spirit to bring us and to give us wisdom and understanding. It's interesting, it's not revelation. Technically, guys, the Spirit does not reveal things to you. The Spirit already revealed this. What we call this is, is illumination. The Spirit takes the written Word and brings spiritual understanding to us. It gives understanding to us. Now, that's not to say that every time you read the Bible, you know exactly what it means and have exactly the right interpretation and, and you, don't have to, you don't have to study and you don't have to work at it. It's not suggesting that. But it's saying that as we interact with the Word of God, the Spirit of God brings wisdom and understanding. Uh, Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you would. Hey, Grandpa, while you're up, could you open one of these doors for us, please? In In a safe way that... Thank you. That's a gift for standing up, my friend. Put you to work. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom. Thank you. Among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No. We declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and God, that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would, have cruci- they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The the, the wisdom and understanding comes through the Spirit, initially through the inscripturation of God's Word, but then secondarily through illumination. As we study and we seek God's will in His Word, the Spirit brings wisdom and understanding. 
for what purpose? And this is, you would go back to Colossians. What the purpose? So, he says, I, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that comes about as the Spirit gives you wisdom and understanding and insight and illumination. And what's the ultimate purpose? And this is the main idea of this text. Look at me at verse 10. He says, Again, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that, so here's the reason, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. And most of our more literal translations have the word, what? Walk. Walk. It, this was a metaphor for how one, how you, how a person conducts their life, how they live their life. We, we use it too. You know, walk the talk. Live what you profess. So, he says, ultimately, I want you to have the fullest knowledge of His will. I want you to have complete knowledge and full knowledge of what He has revealed to us, God's will. And that comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit granting us wisdom and understanding. And all of that is so that we may learn how to walk right. We may learn how to walk, and he says, worthy of the Lord. What do you, what do you think it means to walk worthy of the Lord? I, I just think to yourself, what, what comes to mind when you think of conducting yourself or living your life in a way that's worthy of the Lord? Well, the text gives us an insight. Right after that, he says, Pleasing Him in every way. How do we walk worthy of the Lord? We work, we we walk, we live our lives so that in everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, is pleasing to Him. Which comes back to the question, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it would be simply to live consistently with, or to to live consistently with what we believe. If we believe that Jesus is God, He died and rose again, how then shall we live? If, in fact, Jesus, through His, His, His death and His resurrection, our sins are forgiven, how then should we walk? If He forgives us even the most vile, heinous sins, how then should we live? That's Paul's point. And so he says, we need to learn how to walk. <clears throat> we're spiritual babes. When you come to know Christ, you're a spiritual baby. You've got to learn how to walk, and it's a process. But this is what God expects us to do. He says, I want you to walk in a way that is worthy of Christ, that is consistent with Him, that represents Him, that represents the Gospel. Uh, turn back one book to Galatians. This is, this is, I think, to me, is one of the most fascinating texts in all of the New Testament. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, When Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. In fact, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. 
And here's the key verse. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is fascinating. One prophet, one apostle, publicly confronting another apostle. Not over doctrine, but over what? Conduct. Conduct. How he was living. His conduct. That, that is just fascinating to me. One apostle publicly um, confronting another apostle, not over a doctrinal issue, but he was not, and I like how the enemy, not walking consistently with the gospel, with all that the gospel represents. How we walk is important to God. Uh, back to Colossians. So he says, I want you to walk worthy. Um, you don't have to turn there, but we see this in, in, in a lot of Paul's epistles. And for instance, in Ephesians 4.1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy. And here he says, worthy of the calling you have received. And that, that calling is called to be a believer. To walk consistently as a believer. Uh, Philippians one twenty seven. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. In other words, live your lives in a manner worthy, walk worthy, here it says, of the gospel. So I take that all three. When he says, I want you to walk worthy of Christ... It is worthy of Christ, which means worthy of the gospel, which means worthy of your calling as a Christian. In other words, I want you to walk consistently with all that God has revealed in His Word. Now, what does that mean? How do I do that? So let's just stop there. Don't look at your Bible. If someone were to ask you, how do you walk worthy of the gospel? This powerful, life-transforming gospel. How do you walk worthy of the gospel? Just think in your own mind. What, what, what would, how would you answer that? Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't lie. Don't lie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it would get very basic. Well, Paul tells us in this text what it means to walk worthy of the gospel, worthy of Christ, and what it means to please Him in every single way. Look again at verse 10. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. And here He's going to tell us how to do that. And it comes, by the way, it comes in the form of four... Now, these are four participial phrases. We're going to look at these four phrases this morning. Bearing fruit in every good work. That's one. Number two, growing in the knowledge of God. So actually, if you want to underline bearing, that's the first participle. In English, most of the time, participles are are indicated by ing. Alright, so that's how, just a hint, not always, uh, depending on what translation you use, but almost always, if you want to know what what the the participles are in your English translations, they always end in ing. So the first one is being, I'm, I'm sorry, is bearing fruit in every good work. The second participle is growing in the knowledge of God. The third is being strengthened, is the third, with all power, according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. And the fourth one is giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the kingdom of the Son of His life. So those are the four, what we call, participial phrases. And you know it's of the Lord when you're getting excited about grammar. Um, but this is important. 
Greek participles are very, very important. And they, they are used uh, in a number of ways. They're very, they can be very difficult to translate. And that's why typically uh, our translations just use the, the, the base word, the, the root, and add an ing to it. Because there, there's a lot of different ways they can be used. But there are three primary ways that a participle can be used. The most common way is, is in what we call an instrumental use. You would provide the word by. So these participles give the means by which the main verb is achieved, if that makes sense. So if, if this was instrumental, we could say, I want you to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way, by bearing fruit in every good work, by being strengthened with all power, uh, by growing, by giving. So this would be instrumental use. That's the most common. So whenever you see a participle, automatically think instrumental. This is the means by which the main verb is, is achieved or modified in some way. The second use is result. The second primary usage of participles is result. Resulting in, you, you would translate this as basically resulting in. So if we said, that we, I pray that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and pleasing in every, resulting in bearing fruit in every good work, resulting in or being seen by growing in the knowledge of God. So in other words, as you walk worthy, these things will be the result. So that's the second option. The third is what we call temporal. It has some kind of time element. So we would typically translate this as while or as. So if it was, if it was temporal, you'd say, bear, uh, live a life worthy of the Lord as you bear fruit in good work, while growing in the knowledge of God, by being strengthened, and, or, or as or while you're being strengthened. So you can see how these can be the, the meaning of these can, can change based on how you take the participles. And sometimes, in many ways, this, this is very important. Uh, we're we're going to run across this again in chapter 3. Turn quickly to chapter 3, verse 16. And for those of you that don't like grammar, just bear with me for just a moment, because I'm getting kind of excited right now. Chapter 3, verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, now, what is, your, what is your translation saying next? Teaching. teaching. What's teaching? That's a participle. Why? How do you know? I-N-G. So it just says teaching. And what else? Admonishing. That's participle number two. How do you know that's a participle? I-N-G. What next? Singing. Singing. Another participle. So here's the question. When he says... Let the word of Christ dwell among you richly. Is it by teaching and by admonishing? Or is it resulting in? As, as, as the word of Christ dwells among you, it's going to result in teaching and admonishing and singing. Will those things be a result? Or is it temporal? As, and, and this, is, this is the decision the NIV translators made. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and psalms and songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your heart. So they took it as temporal. That while, as you do these things, you will, the, the word of Christ will dwell among you. So, which is it? Is it? Are these things a result of being filled with the word of Christ? 
or these means by which. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do what's that, Dan? Whatever you do in word, so whatever you do, right? Word or deed. But what we're trying to describe the doing is it a result of what? Temporal. So I would say temporal. temporal. Yeah, okay. Because of, because of seventeen. Okay. Good. See, see, guys, the Bible studying the Bible is fun. It should be fun. What does this mean? We need to ask yourself this question. What does this mean? Um, back, back to. Chapter 1. So, again, so we, the NIV takes these as temporally. I, I, would, I would tend to opt for, in, in, in chapter 1, instrumental. I, I take this. These are the means by which I walk worthy. Now, you, you may opt for temporal, or, or you may opt for a result. That's, that's legitimate. Um, but I, I tend to take these that we live a life worthy of, of the Lord by growing in the knowledge of God. That's number one. Growing, or I'm sorry, bearing fruit in every good work. I skipped one. Bearing fruit in every good work. And what does that mean? Um, there's probably an internal and, and external aspect to this. Where, in the, where else, if you remember, in our context, do you, do you see bearing fruit? Back in verse, no, this context, verse 6. Verse six. What does verse 6 say? Your witness has been bearing fruit. Right, so bearing fruit in verse 6 in this context is, is associated with, yeah, spreading the gospel. So, one of that, what, maybe what he's saying is one of the ways that we... Would you, are you, would you say that the bearing fruit in 6 is also a participle? Would you be able to change that to... By being fruit-bearing? Yes. Do you think that that's, that's an option. Absolutely. See how fun this can be? David, that's your homework assignment this afternoon. See, now you're going to... You're gonna, you guys are going to start seeing participles everywhere. I know you're sick. To, see, aren't you glad I'm not talking about genitives? Then, but you're, I guess I had always looked at it as a verb. Because now you're, mod, you're saying that the fruit-bearingness is a mod, it's an adjective modifier of what the gospel is. No, it's not an adjective. It's a participle. But we'll, we'll talk later. Adjectives different. It may be used adjectivally. The rest of you just just talk amongst yourselves while we bearing fruit. There's probably an external relation. There probably is an external application of this in terms of in, somehow the gospel is involved that, that through the preaching and, and through sharing our faith. And man, I'll tell you what. There's nothing more exciting when you get an opportunity to do that. There's just something about sharing Christ. That does something to you spiritually. Well, one of the ways we walk worthy of Christ is we are willing and ready and able to share the gospel. There might be an internal aspect to this too, is bearing fruit in every good work. So that as we, as we do good works, as we engage in good works, it is bearing fruit in our lives. We see this as fruit of the Spirit. It might be the internal aspect of this. In fact, Paul says, excuse me, in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. How do we walk worthy of the Lord? By doing good works. Um, we don't do it to be saved, but because we are saved. And, and obviously, externally, one of the good works is, is sharing the gospel. Bearing fruit in every good work. This is how we please him in every way. Number two is 
growing in the knowledge of God. Now that is a genitive. Knowledge of God. So is that knowledge that God gives to us? Growing in the knowledge that God has given us? Or is it growing in the knowledge about Him? (laughs) Yeah, they they don't let you do that. It's probably my my knowledge about Him. I want to grow in my knowledge about Him. Now, now let, let, let me say a couple things. It, it drives me crazy when I, when I hear this old, stale, worn-out canard and said, we're not about head knowledge. We're about the heart. Man, that sounds so spiritual, doesn't it? You've got a lot of head knowledge, but there's nothing in your heart. Now, obviously that, that may be true. But what, is, what does this text tell us we're t- to do? To please, to walk worthy. Increasing the, knowledge. Increasing the knowledge of God. To understand Him more. Guys, when you sit down and you do your home group homework, do you just go, mm-hmm. well, even if you do it, you go, mm-hmm. okay, here's my answer. Or do you say, I, I want to I increase in my knowledge of Him. I want to know Him better. And I know Him better through His Word. And, the, and then this other canard, oh, this is not relevant. Um, to, to, to talk about, well, what does this participle mean? And how does it, how does it modify you know, walking? Where the, I don't care. I, you know, I, I, how does it apply to my life? I want to know, you know I've got to go to work in the morning. Let, let me just say something about relevancy. Who do we think we are to say, here's what I think is relevant, and then I'm going to expect the Word of God to meet my concept of relevancy. No, I think God says to you, this is what's relevant. The most relevant thing in your life right now is to understand, how do I walk worthy of God? Not how to fix my marriage, not how to fix my kids, not how to fix my wife, fix my husband. How do I... All those things are okay, and the Bible speaks to those things. But we can't come to the Bible and say, this isn't relevant to me. I'm, I'm just not into this because it's not. No. Instead, we say, this, God has told me this is what should be relevant in my life. To grow in the knowledge of God. And, and 2 Peter 3.18 says the same thing. Listen to this. In the very end of his epistle, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge. Of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Listen, obviously, you can get to the point where it's all about what you know, but you're not living it. But in Colossians, he's saying, you can't live it if you don't know it. One of the reasons I think that many Christians are not walking worthy of the Lord is they don't know Him. They don't know this. They've not been filled with the knowledge of His will. They're not growing in their knowledge of Him. It's not that they have all this head knowledge and they're not applying it. It's they can't apply it because they don't know it. Growing in the knowledge of God. Number three, being strengthened. This is in the passive voice. This is something that's being done to us. We can't strengthen ourselves. He says, by being strengthened, this is what we call a divine passive. Implied here is being strengthened by God, by being strengthened. And what does it say? In what way? With all power. According to his glorious might. Now, two prepositions here. With and according to. He says, I want you to be... This is how God strengthens us. With 
All power. Power is the ability to exert force in performing some function. He says, so, he's going to do this with strengthening you with all power, with ability, and according to his glorious might. Not out of, but abundantly, according to his glorious might. What's the difference between power and might? Kratos is, is well, there, there's, they're virtually synonymous. There's probably some distinction, but they're virtually, I think he's just using two different words to, to, to emphasize a powerful strengthening by the Lord. The, the might may have more of an um, ability to rule or control. This is the same verb that is used as a, as a noun in Ephesians for powers, dominions. We're going to see it in a minute here with dominion. So he's saying, uh, that is something God has to do. We can't strengthen ourselves. He has to do that. Being strengthened, by being strengthened. And the result, what's the result of, of all of that? Two things. So that you may show that, here's reason, purpose, result, that you may have great endurance and patience. And I take endurance to be the ability probably more to stand again externally against persecution and troubles and trials with patience being more probably within the family of God and how we interact with one another. We're going to see this again in chapter 3. Being strengthened according to his glorious might so that you have great endurance and patience. And number four, and this is we have some differences in our translations. Um, some put joy, and either one is 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 certainly an option. Some put joy with, with endurance and patience. So that you might have endurance and patience with joy. Uh, you can also put joy with the fourth participle, which is giving joyful thanks. Or giving thanks with joy. It seems to be, if you look at the first three, it, if, if, you, if you add the joy to the giving, it, it's consistent with the other three. Giving joyful thanks to the Father. And now this is not just saying, thank you God. This is not just an emotional state, but it's an act of worship. The the, the focus here is an act of worship. By acknowledging His greatness, by acknowledging His authority. And then Paul's mind, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit... When he says, give joyful thanks to the Father, says, why? And he remembers some three things that the Father has done. And he says that because he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. He is qualified. What does it mean to qualify? If you qualify for a loan, you meet the requirements. You've met the requirements. You've met the standards. You've met the expectations. So when God says, or when the Scripture says, He has qualified you to share in the inheritance, what does that mean? You've met the requirements to get there. Only the Bible says what? Christ met the requirements for you. He qualified you. You didn't qualify. He qualified you. God does not call qualified people. God qualifies people He calls. You're not born qualified. Christ had to qualify you. And He wasn't, he wasn't just a co-signer. 
He qualified you. He met all the requirements, all the standards, all the expectations for you to get to heaven. And He calls this the kingdom of light. Number two, verse 13. He rescued us. He didn't just qualify us, but He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Anybody who doesn't know Jesus Christ dwells as under the power, the authority, and the dominion of darkness. They may be pretty, they may be handsome, they may be strong, they may smell nice, they may dress nice, they may talk nice, they have a nice job, they have a nice car, they have a nice home, but spiritually, they dwell in the dominion of darkness. We dwelled in the dominion of darkness. When I was nine years old, I lived... My address was the dominion of darkness until I trusted Christ. Which leads us to number four. He transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loved. How many of you have been transferred in work? Sometime in the past, your work, you've been transferred. Nobody here? Okay, thank you. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. Everybody's going... "Mm -hmm." Yeah, I mean, if you're in the military, they transfer you all the time. What does it mean to be transferred? What? Move. You move. You move from one location to another. It's that simple. This is pretty simple, Jody. This is not... These aren't trick questions. It is, this word in classical Greek was used when a king would transplant a certain group of people to another region. So he's transplanted us, he transferred us out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of light. And if you've been studying 1 John, you know that light and darkness, is a, this is a common theme in the New Testament. I think of transferring funds from one account to another. Yeah, that's another way. But it's going from one location to another. Yeah, good. Credit, there's, and we don't have any debits. Not anymore. If you're in Christ, you don't have any debits. <clears throat> Yeah, all the, all the accounts are going, yay! Can we see a balance sheet? Uh, and, and, and he says, uh, I don't know how I'm going to follow up after that. He talks about the kingdom of the Son he loves, and he's thinking about his Son, and he says, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin. So he, he, he defines redemption. What's redemption? Redemption is forgiveness of sin. He says, all because of the powerful, transforming work of the gospel in your life, now I want you to walk right. In closing, let me just say this. I, I firmly believe that there are certain... We should expect to see certain things in someone's life when they come to know Christ. I, I'm not... I don't hold. I, I, I believe in what, what is commonly called lordship salvation. I believe that when you trust Christ, you, 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 He's your Lord. He's not just your Savior; He's your Lord. Yet, let me ask you this question: If, if just walking right, if the ability to walk just came naturally and automatically with someone's salvation, why would He have to say this? Why would he have to say, now, I, I want you to walk worthy? 
Because a lot of people say, well, if he's truly saved, he'll walk worthy. That's like saying to little Darius, well, if he, now that he's born, come on, boy, start walking. Listen, we have to be careful about saying that um, unless uh, how do we say, someone who claims to be saved, if they're not walking right, they must not be saved. Because sometimes it just takes time to learn how to walk. Because otherwise, if, if, if bearing good fruit and every good work and, and growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened according to His might and giving joyful thanks just was a package deal with salvation, then He wouldn't even have to say this. They'd already be doing it. But they weren't. And, and then let me add this. When we do learn how to walk, it's unsteady at first, and we fall a lot, and we stumble, and our kids stumble and fall, and we help them up, and 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 then eat, and then then it's weird. Then later on in life, I'm having a hard time walking all over again. Now I get stumble and I trip. And listen, guys, he expects us to walk worthy of the gospel, to walk worthy of our Lord. But we need to understand we're all in different places of learning how to walk. And the truth of the matter is, I'll never do all of these four perfectly. I will always stumble. I'll always have a gimp or a limp. or I'll always trip. But the fact is, on the one hand, we've got we to be careful that we don't expect perfect walking too soon. On the other hand, we'd be concerned if Tom Tanner was still crawling. If, if, if Tom was still would crawl out of here, he might. I always think the perfect person, right? He has foot surgery on the 22nd. But you see what I mean. We, we expect growth and learning how to walk, but it, it's just that. It, walk worthy is a process. It takes time and practice. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. But... He says, God's directive, God's precept is to walk worthy of the gospel, to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in every way. And we do that through bearing fruit in every good work. We do that by growing in the knowledge of God. We do that as He strengthens us with all His power and glorious might. And He does that as we um, give joyful thanks to the Father. So, I want you to walk right. He wants us to walk right. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that You expect us to walk. You want us to walk. That's healthy. But Lord, I pray that we'd be patient with each other. That we'd be patient with Your people. That we're all in different stages of walking. This is not automatic. But Lord, it is important. Father, we have believed in the life-transforming gospel and we should walk worthy of that gospel of that Christ of our Lord and so Lord help us to walk uprightly to pick ourselves up when we fall and to grow both in the knowledge and the love of our Savior and it's in his name we pray amen would you please stand and join hands